It's your favorite childbirth educator here, Joni Edelman, and this is Radical Childbirth Education. Education for parents and providers who want the down low on the low down. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, and thank you for joining me. In conjunction with the podcast, I've launched a course that is live and repeats every four weeks. We meet on Sundays at 11 Central Time, so 9 Pacific and noon Eastern, and have two hours of education with a question and answer period as well. This class aims not just to teach the anatomy and physiology of childbirth, stages and phases of labor, and all the things that you would learn in your average childbirth class, but also to give attendance an inside look at what's going on when you're in the hospital. What really is an emergency? What can you say no to? What can't you say no to? Are you going to get in trouble? When do you really need a C-section? So what the podcast as well aims to do is to answer some of the questions that come up most frequently in my course when I'm teaching it live. And for this episode, I went to Instagram and asked my followers two questions. One, what things would they have liked to know going into the hospital if they had had someone who could give them the inside scoop, the down low, if you will. And two, what things happened that they would like to redo or would like to have done differently? And I got so many incredible answers and so many people willing to share their own experiences with me. Since I did not indicate when I asked the question that any of it would be publicly shared. I'm not going to be sharing any details of anyone's experiences, but I do want to talk about one concern that came up multiple times and something that I see very, very frequently in my own practice as a doula in the hospital. And that is, I did not want to push on my back, but that's exactly how I ended up. Why? Once we've educated the birthing person on the most anatomically favorable positions for pushing and where our best outcomes occur, mostly women will put on their birth plans and will share with their physicians that they do not want to push or deliver on their back. And yet, most women do. And there's a few reasons for this. The first one is from the perspective of the birthing person, by the time that you get to pushing, Regardless of if you're medicated or not, you really just want to meet your baby. And so you're likely to be complicit with whatever requests are made of you. Most women won't say no to a practitioner who tells them to lay down. That begs the question, why do practitioners want people to lay down? And there's really a very simple answer for that. Prior to birth being attended by physicians or what they used to call barber surgeons, birth never really occurred with an audience, nor did it occur in any sort of supine or horizontal position. Women left to choose the position that they wanted to birth in naturally would naturally choose an upright or squatting position. We have images for many, many years showing women birthing on stools or upright supported or any number of upright vertical positions. Once King Louis had his wife lying down for birth, 
the lying down position started to become more common. The reason for it was really simple. When you're lying on your back with your legs open, the physician or whoever is attending your delivery has a front row seat to your vagina, really, to what's going on. And it's simply easier for them. In our current medical model, physicians, when they're being trained, are trained in that type of birth. They are probably almost never trained in upright birthing because upright birthing almost never occurs in the hospital. It's very uncommon. Surprisingly, if you look at the statistical data, probably something like 98 or 99% of women birth on their backs. I'm just guessing there, but that would be that would be my educated guess. So drink of tea. So it's a matter of convenience, really. And most hospitals have some sort of spotlight or overhead light that can be aimed or pointed at the perineal area to illuminate during the delivery and for the repair. Now, as I tell my students, pretty much no one wants their vagina under a spotlight and pretty much no one wants everyone looking at their vagina. This is something that's really unique to birth in general. There aren't very many circumstances in our life where we would spread our legs and ask for an audience. This can understandably be very intimidating for women, regardless of how modest or not they are, there aren't many women who enjoy that position. And yet, again, they end up that way. And again, this is a matter of convenience for the physician. I've had clients who have asked to birth upright and had doctors say to them, I don't do that. I'm too old for that. That requires me to get into a position I don't want to get into or similar statements. And of course, all of that is nonsense. I remind both my doula clients and my students always that when you are in the birthing room, when you are in the hospital, everyone in the room actually works for you. It quite often feels like you are there subservient, but in reality, they are hired by you and paid by you or your insurance to attend your delivery. So while we tend to acquiesce to the protocols, policies, and recommendations of the hospital, that's simply a matter of many, many years of being told that that was what we were supposed to do. From a higher level feminist perspective, in terms of women empowerment, if you look at the history of birth in America and around the world and the way that birth moved into hospitals and moved into being attended by physicians, there were a lot of steps along the way that created a relationship dynamic between the physician and the birthing person where the physician was the expert. Some people call this the cult of the expert. And as a culture, we have essentially surrendered power in birth to the physician as the expert. This is founded in the belief or in the feeling, whether it's conscious or subconscious, that the physician is somehow capable of helping us or saving us or 
creating a certain outcome. When in reality, the physician can help when a problem arises, but otherwise should probably just stay far away from the person giving birth. I joke that I'm going to take knitting to the hospital and teach the doctors how to knit so that they have something to do. The thing about physician training is physicians are never trained to sit and watch. Physicians are trained to take action because they are commonly man managing pathological or disease processes that often can be an emergency. So no one is going to tell them to sit around and wait. They know how to take action and they're taught to move quickly, which is what they want to do in the birthing space as well, even though it's not warranted. Birth is sometimes quick, but is also sometimes slow. And the pace of the labor and birth is up to the individual woman and her baby and the birth physiology and anatomy. The irony is when we interrupt birth with commands or demands, we actually slow or create problems with the process. It's difficult to stand your ground when you're, even when you've spent a lot of time and effort in research and have decided firmly that you won't lay down because by the time that you get to the point where you're pushing and delivering your baby, really you just want your baby. You're not super preoccupied with how you get it. And because birth occurs in the primal part of our brain, not in our frontal lobe, which is where thinking and reason and all of that occur, we tend to just give in. We aren't meant to be thinking or reasoning or fighting or stating our preferences, right? We are meant to be focused on the task at hand. And in order to focus on the task at hand, we will often just do what we are told, which is a really unfortunate thing because physicians, unfortunately, know this. They know that women will listen because we are so driven to meet our baby. Is birthing on your back really that bad? Well, yes and no. Women do birth on their backs quite frequently, and there's a couple of reasons why it's not the best, of course, right? You're working against gravity. You're essentially pushing uphill. And with your legs spread open, the tissues of the perineum are stretched already to begin with, which means that the stretching that occurs during the pushing phase and during the emergence of the head is additional tension on the tissue, which creates usually more tearing. From a research perspective, our best outcomes for the perineum and the pelvic floor in birth are upright, unmedicated, and untouched. In other words, the person who is birthing is in charge of the pushing position, the pushing timing and effort and frequency and is not coached. There aren't any recommended positions. In other words, going back to what our brain is doing, we're allowed to stay in our primal state. The really interesting thing that a lot of people don't know about pushing and that phase of labor is that there are lots of physiological built-in protections for the woman's body. 
One of them is the high-pitched scream that you often hear women do. And sometimes, not infrequently, you will hear care providers in the hospital actually tell women to stop screaming. They'll say you're wasting your breath or you're wasting your energy or that's not necessary. But in truth, the high-pitched scream, which I won't demonstrate for you because it will hurt your ears, but you can imagine it's the scream that comes from your upper throat, right? That scream, if you do it now, go ahead, do it if you're in your car and no one's around because don't do it in the grocery store if you're there and maybe don't do it if you're at home. But if you're alone, go ahead and just scream a nice high-pitched scream and see what happens to your pelvic floor. Do it now. Go ahead. Now, you'll notice that you feel your pelvic floor rise. And this is the point when I'm talking about this in my class that I will ask people, what do you think that's for? What role do you think that serves? Well, it's pretty clear that with the rise of the pelvic floor, you would also raise the baby. And if you raise the baby, you're taking pressure off the perineum and allowing for a bit of a retraction in order to stretch again. The don't scream moniker is one of the most harmful things I think that we do to women in the hospital and labor when it comes to the pushing stage because that scream really protects our bottoms. The other physiological sort of built-in protections are you will notice that women will assume a position that works anatomically for them. If left alone to catch their own babies, most women will assume a runner's lunge position, which has serves a couple of purposes. One, it puts the woman closer to the floor, allowing for the baby to essentially be eased out onto the floor. Two, it changes the angle of the pelvis a little bit. We'll talk about this in other episodes, but the pelvis is an oval both on the top and on the bottom. But those two ovals go two different directions. So a port, an important part of the baby's descent through the pelvis and into the birth canal to be born is to turn in the middle of the pelvis, the, the cavity, if you will, and to change its direction. When you put one leg forward, you create one oval that is a bit more consistent. So those two ovals sort of match up, making birth easier. Another physiological protection we have is that we will thrust our hips forward a little bit as the baby is coming around the uh, pubic bone. And if you ever watch a woman birthing naturally, she will almost invariably place her hand either near her clitoris or on her perineum between her vagina and her anus and put counter pressure. We know the value of our clitoris, right? And we don't want to be torn there. So of course we are going to automatically protect that space. So is pushing on your back really that bad? Well, I would say yes. For my professional experience, it's almost unheard of to see third or fourth degree tears in upright birth. It happens every now and then, but it's super uncommon. And most of my intact perineums, in other words, with no tearing whatsoever, that occur particularly in 
first-time moms, or what we call primips, occur in those upright positions. One of the reasons that lying down creates more trauma to the pelvic floor is that physicians and nurses as well are trained to utilize their both their first and second finger, their pointer and middle finger, and to press these fingers against the posterior wall of the vagina towards the anus as the baby is making its way underneath the, pel the pubic bone. When oil is placed in the vagina and these, this sort of a U-shaped motion is made with the fingers, it does serve to stretch, but again, is not evidence-based. However, from an outsider's perspective, someone watching this occur would think, oh, the physician or nurse is stretching the tissue. But one of the other things they're doing is actually pressing down on that posterior wall to create space and help the baby's head descend past the pubic bone to kind of go under it more quickly. Dare I say that the baby's head should navigate that space in the timing that the body allows. Because the more time that we give tissue to stretch, the more likely it is to stretch without tearing. So my feeling is that that continuous posterior vaginal wall pressure which allows for a quicker birth and a more convenient experience for your care provider creates more damage to your pelvic floor. How do we prevent this from happening when we get there? This is a difficult question because we don't want to ask the birthing person to have to be consciously aware of stating and restating preferences during their labor. Anytime we're taken out of our primal brain and have to put our attention and thought into our frontal lobe, into reasoning and information, we are impeding the process of labor. So what I encourage folks to do is, number one, when you're creating your birth plan or preference sheet, make sure that in bold letters you say, free choice of birthing position. Take that to your physician and present it to them and ask them if they will allow you to deliver in any position you would like. If they say no, this is a big red flag and, in my feeling, a reason to find another care provider. If your physician doesn't respect your basic rights of physical movement, then they really aren't providing the care that you deserve. The second thing, once you've worked that out, is to talk with your partner about the importance of the upright pushing position. Play them this episode if they don't know or understand and tell them how important it is for you to give birth upright. Once you've got them on board, they are able to advocate for you in the labor room so that you don't have to advocate for yourself. Ideally, you'll have a doula, but I'll tell you that even as a doula, it's sometimes very difficult to combat these suggestions or requirements because if the mother willingly lies on her back, again, because she just wants to be done, then I'm certainly not going to argue with her, right? I might suggest prior to that, remember we want to push up right, 
but I'm not going to be the one who tries to change her position. And again, she might be so tired or ready to be done that she just acquiesces. But having a doula is, of course, helpful. Your doula can advocate for you and remind the staff what your wishes are, including your pushing position, cord clamping, and those sorts of things. And she can do those things for you in the moment. What happens if you get to the point of pushing and whoever the doctor on call happens to be, perhaps it's not yours, tells you that they don't deliver in upright positions? What do you do? You have a couple of options here. One option would be to ask them to leave and bring in someone else. Some hospitals have on-call midwives that can attend birth, and they will usually be fine with you pushing in an upright position, hopefully. Not always, but most of the time. Um, another option would just be to refuse and to tell them to step back. You are innately able and capable of pushing your baby out and catching your baby yourself. You're likely on a bed, which means you're on a soft surface, so it's not as if your baby's going to hit the floor. And there is absolutely no reason why you can't push in your preferred position, whether that be squatting or kneeling, and either let your baby ease out onto the bed without your assistance at all, or place a hand on the baby and help the baby ease out onto the bed using your hands. You can also ask that your partner helps. A lot of physicians will say, I'm happy to let the partner help catch the baby, quote unquote, catch the baby, but I want the, to deliver the head because I want to protect the perineum, which is a very nice thought. But if the physician truly wants to protect the perineum, then the physician should let the mother be the one whose hands are on the perineum. Again, Care providers' hands in the vagina during birth do not improve outcomes in terms of our pelvic floor and tearing. Care providers' hands have worse outcomes, not better. If you are a person who had every intention of birthing upright and instead ended up on your back, this message is for you. You are part of a system that does not encourage your empowerment, that does not encourage your sovereignty. It does not encourage self-responsibility. It encourages reliance on the system because reliance on the system and acquiescence makes things easier for the hospital staff. So if this happened to you, I want you to know that not only did it happen to you, but it happens to many, many women. And if you aren't done having babies, this is a really valuable experience because you now know, if you're listening to this, that you don't have to lie down. In the hospital, you are not in jail. You are a free person who is free to do as they wish. The World Health Organization, in their birthing guidelines, even states that women should be free to choose whatever position they would like to birth in. And that is certainly something you can put on your birth plan or even state to your physician that they really can't argue with. They're mostly relying on you not fighting back with them. If you do, they're likely to be surprised and not know how to respond. 
because again, most women don't. But what I'm seeing in the last 20 years is that women are becoming more and more empowered. They are learning and becoming educated and asking the physicians to either stop doing certain things or start doing certain things. We can think of the use of episiotomies, which very rarely occur now, but were common in the 70s. Same with the use of enemas and shaving. Once we realized those things serve no purpose and women didn't want to do them, as soon as they started to fight back, physicians stopped doing them. And the same goes for now. If women continue to be educated and to fight back on pushing positions, then physicians really have no option but to adjust and adapt. And if we're hospital birthing, then we should be asking them to adjust and adapt to our choices. I hope that you found this episode on Pushing on Your Back helpful and happy birthing. information on this podcast should not be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event.